I've been challenged by David, my husband, this morning to not use the word excited, but I have already <laughs> used that word. Um, it's been quite a journey to prepare what I've got for you this morning over the last couple of weeks. And um, actually, one of my kids said to me, Mum, are you still writing that cat notice? <laughs> I was like, no, because I didn't really want to say what I was preparing for some reason. I was like, no, I, I'm, no I'm writing a preach. She's like, why are you doing that? <laughs> How come you're doing that? So, um, yeah, it's actually been part of, you know, if you're sat there thinking, why are you doing that? <laughs> um, I just want to share, yeah, it's part of the adventure that God's got me on at the moment, which some of you will have been part of, uh, a venture into the depths of God's humour. And uh, so it's my delight to come this morning. Um, Really, I've got some great news to continue sharing with you um, about Jesus who brings light into our darkness and into our hearts so that we can know God. That's why we're here this morning. I want to kind of continue our worship that we've had sung worship. We've had some time of waiting on God already uh, just to stay in that place that as we listen to the word as well, that this stuff takes root and that we still remain available for the Holy Spirit to speak with us. I might, I don't quite know what I might do, but I might interrupt myself. You know, there might be just times to stop and pray and respond to the Holy Spirit during this word this morning. Um, in Mark's talk last week, we're obviously doing this series through John and he did a little recap of some of the themes that we've looked at already. And I'm going to do the same. I'm going to do it again. Um, and what I want to, the way I want to say it is kind of bullet point and just be declaring again who Jesus is, who Jesus has said he is. Um, I suggest wait on these words in your hearts. Jesus is the one who sustains and satisfies. He's the bread of life. He is the one who knows us and makes himself known. He's the good shepherd. He's the gate. He is the one who has authority over death. He is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is the joy bringer, the life giver, and the one who is love. He is the true vine. Help us, Holy Spirit, I pray, to come this morning to, to continue to worship you, Jesus, with gratitude and thanksgiving wherever our circumstances find us this morning. Come on, Holy Spirit. I just want to touch on uh, the word I used earlier in the notice about judgment. I just felt to bring this morning that we come here as a church family without judgment. Um, you know, I've shared with you about some of the work of CAP and those living with the shame and embarrassment of death. But shame is broken when it encounters love. Our part in the body of Christ is to minister God's love and grace to one another, to extend his favour to one another um, where there could otherwise be judgment or rejection. So let's continue now. By God's grace, by his favour, to look at John's gospel with the invitation to learn from Jesus. 
Okay, so a key theme in the Gospel of John is that of light, life, and darkness. And this is introduced in the first five verses of chapter one. I'm just going to read them. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So let's turn to John 8, verse 12, for our passage this morning, to look more closely at the light and life that is found in Jesus. I must have just had some water, sorry. So Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There are three elements to look at when I was looking at this verse that kind of jumped out. So first, we've got the claim, I am the light of the world. Jesus is making a statement about himself. Then there's an invitation, whoever follows me. And this statement basically does require a response. And then there's the promise. You will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you are overwhelmed by these PowerPoint presentation slides this morning, say a big thank you to David afterwards. <laughs> I have no idea how to do that. Um, so there is a claim, there's an invitation, and there's a promise. Let's look at these bits a bit closer. So Jesus' claim, I am the light of the world. In preparation for this preach, I have had the joy of digging into some physics websites um, just to look at the, how the scientific world is defining light and observe some of the discussions around whether darkness is actually something that even exists. Mm. Prepare to be enlightened. <laughs> Thank you, over there. Um, so light has characteristics. It can reflect, refract, it can travel through a vacuum. Light has a source. Light can be measured and observed. Light is essential for life. It is needed by all living organisms, except for a few bacteria, uh, to generate food and energy. A dictionary definition of light is the agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. So Jesus is the light of the world. He is essential for life and can be observed and known. He is the agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. The Bible also has a lot to say about light. As you may know, it's one of the first features in the entire biblical text. To Jesus' Jewish listeners, his claim to be the light of the world um, has echoes of the creation account in Genesis 1. So those first four verses of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light 
from the darkness. The first step from chaos to order is to bring light. So Jesus' claim in chapter 8, verse 12 of John was delivered at the close of the Feast of Tabernacles when light was an important symbol, when Jews remembered God's shelter uh, and faithful provision for the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They remembered that God guided them with a pillar of cloud by day and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Part of the customs of the week-long feast was to illuminate the temple at nightfall with two giant lamps in the court of the women, which would shine down over Jerusalem. At the end of the festival, when these lights had ceased, Jesus stepped up in the temple, and guess what he said? I am the light of the world. He declares that he is the great light in the dark world not just for seven days once a year, but for all time and for all people. Bringing order to chaos, saving us from trouble, otherwise known as our salvation, and stimulating our sight to see God. I have numerous stories and memories of growing up at home and having my parents pray for me and intercede for me. So even before I encountered Jesus when I was 15, I experienced the gentle presence of his peace in the face of recurrent childhood nightmares and learned that I could call on the name of Jesus when anxiety gripped or darkness seemed to be pressing in. But knowing Jesus as the light of the world isn't only about receiving comfort in times of trouble. His light enables us to see his truth and God's glory. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, Paul writes, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let me just read that again. For God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I experience the light of God's presence and power today as I take opportunities to pray for neighbours in the local park, the school mum friends on street corners, the church family in the shopping aisle of Asda, and on Zoom calls to my twin sister in Papua New Guinea. The light of Jesus' life dwells in us by the Holy Spirit and it inspires me to like take sticky toffee pudding to a new cat client only to find out that a few days before she'd missed out on having sticky toffee pudding on a hospital visit and she felt so disappointed that she told her family. <laughs> and then there was me and Val Harrison turning up for our first appointment with her and she was speechless because I'd given her a sticky toffee pudding. <laughs> I shared with her that this is how God makes his goodness known. If you want God's goodness, come and have my sticky toffee pudding. <laughs> Chris, nice. <laughs> God knows what we need before we have even asked. He wants to reveal his light in the midst of our chaos. 
So let's come to the second part of the verse. Jesus' invitation, whoever follows me. This is a wide open invitation. Whoever, it's referring to someone before that identity has been fully made known. It, it means anyone and everyone. It means you and it means me. It's an invitation for all of us who have fallen short of the mark and for those of us who are even too broken to try. Come and follow Jesus. In the Gospel of John, these words are spoken at a time when Jewish law taught separation of Jew and Gentile with the expectation that salvation was exclusively for the Jews. Non-Jews were regarded as impure and idol worshippers. The Jewish law created a social barrier between Jew and Gentile, whilst the thick temple walls created a physical barrier between Gentiles and God's presence. But here is Jesus, God in the flesh, inviting anyone to come near and follow him. Let me just share with you about an invitation that David and I have recently had the joy of sharing. So in August this year, I was reading about a new partnership between Alpha UK and Christians Against Poverty. I was looking at the website for Alpha, and I just felt God speak. And he said, Karen and David, I want you to run a new season of Alpha. This was quite unexpected, as the last one I'd run uh, in my home was four years previous with some mums from school, and David hadn't been on one for 15 years, so it wasn't kind of in our plans. However, I felt an excitement in my spirit, uh, so got a plan together to bring an alpha course in our home by the end of September. And so we began to pray for some guests, because that's pretty essential. The funny thing about God's plans is that he often doesn't tell us what he's about to do. But the fact that he had spoken gave us the opportunity to respond in faith. What we found was that this faith adventure began to challenge our view of Jesus' open invitation and how narrow our mindsets had become. What I'm finding is God softens our hearts as we go, as we step out in faith and as we obey. And it's in our going that the Holy Spirit continues his work of transformation in us. So the usual route to attending an Alpha course is like to hear it from the church leadership that a course is being run centrally and that we should pray about who we can bring. And so we have a quick conversation with the Holy Spirit and we decide that there isn't anyone, and then let the opportunity pass by, often with a sigh of relief. But what David and I have rediscovered is that Jesus asks us all to throw the net wide, to offer the invitation, and he'll sort out the rest. Because we knew that God had planned our Alpha course, we believed that there must therefore be some people that he wanted to share his goodness with. So we started looking for people to tell about our course without trying to pre-assess whether they were likely to come. And we tried to throw the net as wide as possible. I had the privilege of listening to the views of some of my neighbours um, on their doorsteps, and even if they didn't fancy it, 
we had some honest conversation and even prayer as a result. In the end, God brought an opportunity to talk about faith with some school mums, one of whom said, it's funny because I just thought I was meant to talk to you today. I've been thinking about like spiritual things more recently and this invitation isn't that much of a surprise. David, however, was surprised when a long-standing friend and ex-colleague accepted his invitation, especially as they've rarely spoken about faith together. And so we have the privilege of journeying with three guests on Alpha at the moment, all of whom God knew about, but of whom we were pretty oblivious to before. Throw the net wide and don't write anyone off or withhold an invitation because in your limited viewpoint, they could never be a follower of Jesus. You never know who God is calling. And so let's take a look now at the third part of this verse, Jesus' promise. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Before we dig any further, I'd just like to linger on this phrase, will never walk in darkness. When I was 26, I experienced a season of clinical depression and burnout. It came at a time when all of my reserves of coping simultaneously emptied, and I was left in a dissolved state, kind of like a puddle on a carpet. I had become so low in my heart that I had disturbing images in my mind of being found dead, and I couldn't see how life could go on. I was eventually signed off sick from work, which at that time was as a nurse in the de emergency department. I felt like I was in a really dark pit, unable to interact with the world around me. In the midst of this time of tears and lack, my mum spoke with me on the phone and said, you're in God's hands, Kay. And in that moment of crying, I saw a tiny pinprick of light in my dark which was the truth of God's love for me forever engraved on my heart. Do these personal experiences of darkness and struggle mean that I'm no longer walking with Jesus? The verse we're looking at says quite plainly here that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Two days ago, I listened to a friend's testimony of clinging on to God's spoken promises to her and her family, even though the place that he led her had brought her into sorrow and emotional darkness. She testifies that even through the questions and uncertainties of those years, God's promises remain true. That through his pruning, he has now changed things that she hadn't believed possible and shown that his plans were far better than any plans she'd made for herself. God knew what he was doing. Looking back to my time of depression, I can say that God used it to speak tenderly to me and to show me that there is a different way to live, alive in his love and finding my satisfaction in him. In that time, I was too broken up to follow but Jesus's love drew me into the presence of the Father. So I guess in answer to my question, do my struggles mean that I'm not walking with Jesus? 
I believe that there is a distinction between our personal struggles in this life compared to the darkness that is a life lived in opposition to God. I just want to encourage you, if darkness is pressing in, hold fast to God's promises, to his unfailing love for you, that there is no depth of darkness that can hide you from his love, that his hand will hold you fast and let the people in who care for you. There is an important verse in John chapter 3, verse 19, which does describe the darkness and death that we must choose to turn from. This is in the message version because I just find it quite helpful. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. There's a big challenge for us in this verse. In this moment, we need to ask, am I running for cover in the dark shadows? Do I live in fear of being exposed? Let's understand what spiritual darkness is, folks. It's living in the absence of light, in the absence of God's life. Just want to ask the Holy Spirit now, in this moment, to search our hearts and expose the deeds that are hidden in the shadows. Come, Father. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Search our hearts, Lord. Come, Father. Come, Holy Spirit, that the Lord will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Come and minister, Holy Spirit. Come and interrupt us in our thoughts. Give us the strength to respond to your word to us this morning. Knowing that as we turn to you, Jesus, there is forgiveness for our sins. Come, Father. And so finally, we have arrived at my favorite bit of this little verse. 
Jesus' promise of the light of life. In John's Gospel, the book is stuffed full of the words light and life. When John uses the word life, it is used interchangeably with the words eternal life. And eternal life is defined by Jesus in his prayer for believers in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever puts their faith and trust in Jesus can know God. I've always found the phrase light of life really beautiful and, and quite intriguing. And I believe now it's because it's the life of Jesus that emits the light. It comes back to the first chapter of John that we read earlier in chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So John had a really specific purpose for writing his gospel account. It's written in chapter 20, verse 31. These signs, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I've spoken to you today about the light and life of Jesus, that when we put our faith in him, we receive his life, and that life emits his light into the world around us. So again, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love the image here of a town built on a hill. Jesus hasn't built his church as individual homesteads in the valley places, but as clusters of lit homes gathered in a community on the high ground. He intends to shine his light out to a dark world through us, whether we feel able or not. We are the collective of God's light. There is no place here for judging others or for the comparison between one another's lumen output. And don't worry if it feels like your light is burning low. That is a lie of the enemy. It never was your light. It's the light of Jesus. Unless you're stepping out into the shadows of the world, how will you know how strongly it burns? There's a quote from Dallas Willard here. We need 
to seriously consider Jesus as our teacher on how to live instead of being uh, prepared to learn how to live from almost anyone but him. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with God's love and power, to have willing hearts to take his invitation of life to those who need it most. In a book called The Shaping of Things to Come, Hirsch and Frost write, the missional church disassembles itself and seeps into the cracks and crevices of society in order to be Christ to those who don't know him yet. If, if anyone there is put off by the term missional church, that's not me. This is just talking about the church on God's mission has the mission to seep into the cracks and crevices of society in order to be Christ to those who don't know him yet. So in response, I want to encourage you to open up your homes to one another. Make a point of gathering your neighbours together. Ask people their story and where they find the confidence to navigate life. Offer to pray in the name of Jesus. Be expectant that God is on mission. Always walk in humility because it's Jesus' light and the power of the Holy Spirit that draws hearts to God. If we really understand that Jesus is the light of the world, then let's throw the net wide and invite others to follow him that they may no longer walk in darkness but have the light of life.